Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. Jesus speaking, the version I memorized said, watch out, don't let me catch you uh, living in careless ease and drunkenness filled with the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware. And I knew the Lord was talking straight to me. And so I turned off the radio and I said two words. I said, okay, Lord. And he gave me Fitness and wellness expert, naturopath, and adventure enthusiast, Wendy Peck. And my husband, Todd Isburner. He's a fundraising guru, men's mentor, and Bible scholar. And as a couple, we're going to share riveting breakthrough stories from our guests who've experienced the meaning of a changed life. Our hope is that you will be inspired, equipped, and entertained along your own life journey. So lean in, listen well. This could be your biggest breakthrough. Hey, and welcome to Your Biggest Breakthrough. I'm Wendy Pett. I'm Todd Isburner. So good to have you here. Yes, we love seeing you and uh, just being with you. We're not really seeing you. We're just being with you uh, every it episode. It would be really cool if they could figure out a way for us to tap cool. in. You know, and everybody's got cameras in their iPhones and their computers. Why not? Uh, let's go for it. Shark <laughs> Tank, here we come. <laughs> All right. Well, today's topic, we're going to be talking about coping mechanisms and tactics to not have to feel pain or discomfort. And this is uh, really something that is really going on a lot right now in, yeah. in this modern world, because there is so much that is is attacking our mental health and our, our spiritual well-being. And so mm-hmm. people are kind of numbing the pain. Yeah. And uh, there are so many ways to numb that pain. I mean, there's a massive list of that, but that pain t- tends to rear its ugly head mm. if that pain is not dealt with head on. Yeah. The truth is, you know, coming face to face with the realities of life not being very easy and the problems that I might have, it it really becomes tough and we sort of hide in denial a lot of the time. But the beauty is that when you do start to acknowledge where you are at, then God can open up a door for a breakthrough and, and a healing can occur. Yeah, absolutely. And so today's guest on Your Biggest Breakthrough knows all too well about using coping mechanisms in her, in her life that has kept the pain and suffering uh, linging, ling- lingering. How about that? I'm having a hard time. Lingering, talking. man. La, 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 lingering. <laughs> I need a coping mechanism to yes, talk. Anyway, uh, her suffering uh, lingering longer than she ever desired. So, uh, you want to share about Rebecca's? Yeah. So, diet? Rebecca Carroll is, uh, she's our guest. She's a joyful Jesus follower. That's a great that, she is too. label to have, isn't she it? She really I'm is. Serious. <laughs> she's wife to Mike, mom to two teenagers. Uh, she's a lover of coffee. Yeah. And, uh, and a good friend to many, many people. She calls herself a radio dinosaur, but she, I think would admit I'm probably. I was supposed to say I think you're the dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason she calls herself that is because she's worked on here in the Dallas Fort Worth area since 1998. (laughs) Wow, that's pretty awesome that she survived. 
She served at, uh, I love this station, 90.9 KCBI in Dallas since 2011. And you can join her and Don Burns in the morning. They got a great morning show, Monday through Friday, 5.30 in the morning, because you know some of you are up then, to 8.30 a.m. Of course, you can stream that and get in on the fun that way if you're not in that area. And then also, again, listen to 10 to 12 p.m. Central Time. So Rebecca's also working, this is, blows me away, she's also working toward her master's in theological studies at Dallas Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. which I happen to it's know no is joke. one of the toughest seminaries in the world. And she's also spending time speaking and teaching uh, the Bible regularly at events and conferences and retreats. And I have great respect and admiration for you, Rebecca, and welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Thanks Rebecca. Hello. Last time we were together, we were speaking at a women's conference, and that's been way too long. So I'm so, it's so good to see your smiling face. <laughs> it's so good to see yours. And Todd, I will tell you this. Yeah. Had someone told me it was one of the toughest seminaries, I might have picked another one. I just, <laughs> I'm going to say that. I'm going to say it. Yeah. In hindsight, you will know how true that is. Uh, but the payoff is coming. Just you know, keep grinding. Hang in there. It, Hang in there, sister. I might need you to put that in writing. Just, you know, (laughs) we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Well, Rebecca, we've got you on the show because this is a topic that is, is, is pretty uh, hot right now. I mean, there's a lot of people dealing with mental health issues and with the state of the way that the world is in right now and coming out of, uh, praise the Lord, uh, there's still a lot of lingering um, pain and people are coping in different ways that aren't healthy ways of coping. And and you know this all too well from your past experience and, and the ways in which you were living. So let's talk a little bit about that. I know you, I know your testimony. You, you shared uh, in, in some notes about 2009 and how that was a big year of breakthrough for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. And and I will also say this, you are right about the number of people struggling right now. I was just looking through some statistics not too long ago. And as of last June, a year ago, yeah, last June, June of 20, 40% of adults were reporting some kind of mental struggle or mental illness. Mm. One in six kids And so these are number, and that's a year ago. And the experts that I know say that those numbers have only consistently gotten worse, right? One of my kiddos needed to see a counselor uh, over the summer, and it took us two months to find a counselor with an opening, and we were on every Mm. wait list you can imagine. Wow. So I think the pandemic has done a number on all of it. I didn't need a global pandemic to fall apart. I did that just fine on my own. Thank you very much. Needed no help. But to give you a little bit of my background story, before I tell you about 2009, um, mental illness runs in my family. And this is something we are open about. We are not ashamed of it. But uh, one of uh, a couple of my family members suffer with bipolar two. We have a lot of depression. We have a lot of anxiety and my doctor thinks we can probably pinpoint the time that I began to really struggle with anxiety in a clinical sense was around the time I was 12 or 13. Mm. And that's when I started drinking. And that's when I started um, manifesting bulimic behavior. At age 12 and 13? 12 and 13. Wow. Hey, hey, Rebecca, leading up to that as a child, was there talk about mental illness in the family? Did you pick up on that? And if so, how did you react to that? 
Not at all. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we are so open about it with our kids and just in general as a family is because I think that my story would probably be a lot different had I had some sort of intervention when I was younger, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I hid it from my parents. I didn't have words to put around it. I was nervous and anxious all the time, but I, I didn't know there were categories for it. And so I would hide up in my room with a bag of chips. I would, you know, spend um, hours and hours and hours reading. That's great, but it was my form of anesthetizing. And so at about 12 or 13 was when those, you know, the anesthetizing behavior took pretty significant unhealthy. What were the major influences, good and bad, on you during that period of time? I was certainly influenced by church. I was raised in an Episcopal family, and we were church-centric. We weren't really Jesus-centric. I think that if, if that makes any kind sure. of sense, mm -hmm. church was a place we went and something we did, and then there was not a whole lot of discussion around Jesus being the center of our life. But that would be the probably the the biggest positive influence. Mm -hmm. I knew how loved I was. I, I grew up in a, a healthy family, but the negative influence would have been that we moved about every three years. We actually lived in Minnesota three separate times. I know that's where the two of you are located. Really? We wow. Mm -hmm. We lived. Well, hopefully in that didn't. Con hopefully that, that, that didn't wasn't contribute to trigger. the anxiety. <laughs> Although I could understand why it may have. Those long winters. The exactly. long winters. Right. Actually, Minnesota is. It's like a hidden jewel. Not many people visit, mm -hmm. but they should. It, it is breathtakingly mm -hmm. beautiful in the spring and summer and fall. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. So when true. you can actually see right. yeah, the scenery, right. but lakes everywhere. But we moved every three years. And so I was always trying to fit in and be popular and figure out what everyone was wearing, deciphering their lingo. And so I think that that along with a genetic disposition to mental illness probably play, played the biggest part. Yeah, that makes sense. I think um, just wanting to be accepted and include and have that inclusion uh, in some sort of a, a group, I think that's a, a normal human condition, right? We want to be included. We're wired for it. You know, I mean, we are created by an interpersonal communal God who created us. I mean, that you know, we put such a, a premium on independence and doing it yourself and making your own way when, in fact, we were actually created mm. for interdependence on each other and on God. So, yes, that is a primary need. Yes. So, I think I can safely say by the time I graduated from high school, I was socially dependent on alcohol. And by the time I graduated from college, I was an alcoholic. I was a high-functioning alcoholic who did not drink every day, but on the days that I didn't drink, I wanted to drink. Fast forward to 2009, what an interesting dichotomy I had going on because growing up, I had, I had a wish list. It was not very big, but I really, really wanted to be married and have a family. You know, that was a bucket list item for me. I really wanted to work at a country music radio station. And if I could work on a morning show, even better. And I wanted to, I was a singer, grew up singing and performing on stage. And so I, I wanted to be able to sing in a praise band of sorts or just sing in some kind of contribution to my church. I didn't want to do it outside of the church. I, I <clears throat> always wanted to do that in the church. 
I had envisioned a house in the suburbs with a couple pets. So in 2009, I found myself in this strange position of having everything I'd ever wanted. I was not only on a country music morning show, but I was on a marquee morning show in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which, as you both know, Dallas is a, is one of the um, top five major markets in the U.S. I probably listened to you back in the day. <gasps> That's right. Think about it. I mean, Dorsey I grew Gay. up in Texas. Yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So that's where I worked and loved it. You know, I had the husband, I had two kids, a boy and a girl, everyone was healthy and happy. And I was singing on a praise team in church. I was actively serving and I was as depressed and hopeless and anxious as I had ever been. And my husband was in the garage cleaning and the kids were two and three. They were upstairs napping. This was 2009. And I was cleaning out the pantry in the kitchen and I had a chair pulled in there and I was reaching up onto the top shelf and my hand closed around something and I pulled it down and looked at what it was. And it was um, heavy duty painkillers from an accident I'd had where I had separated my shoulder and I had just never used them, stuck them up there and forgot about them. And I stood there for a good five to 10 minutes thinking that I could just go upstairs and take the pills and go to sleep and never worry ever again. Wow. And I didn't. I gave the bottle to my husband and said that I needed him to take it, that I couldn't be trusted. And we had a long heart to heart. And this is what he told me. He said, you know, when I first met you, you were like this anomaly. You had this really cool job and you drove this cute little convertible and you had a loft apartment in uptown Dallas. And the only thing you ever wanted to talk about was the Bible. And you were always telling me about a Bible study you were in or something you had read or something you had written in your journal. And he said, and I haven't seen you do that in so long. Do you think that's what's missing? And it was. And so I started journaling my way through the New Testament, and that's when everything changed. That's wow. amazing. That is the power of the Word of God, too. <laughs> exactly. Though, okay, so Rebecca, I just got to back it up for a little bit because um, you left us off back at college. You're an alcoholic and a bleak. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, right. <laughs> what, what, what happened with that? And then you got married I mean, and then, yeah, you're, then about you're about to take pills. You're 2009. <laughs> I mean, that's, there's a little bit of a gap here that needs some explaining Yes. So I was still an alcoholic in 2009 and oh. I was very high functioning. I hid it from everyone. In mm. fact, this I would but do Mike things didn't like know. this. Oh. No, Mike. I mean, now don't get me wrong. He, he knew, he knew me. you liked a good party. Yes. He met me as a party girl. And I, I don't think even as I was growing closer to the Lord, I was, I was still your party girl. Mm-hmm. But he, we would go out to dinner together, just the two of us, and share a bottle of wine, and he would get up and go talk to a waiter or go to the restroom, and I would down my glass and fill it back up from the bottle, and then he'd come back, pour himself another glass, and he'd be like, I can't believe how fast we went through that. And so mm-hmm. I, I did a very good job of hiding it. When I started journaling and working my way through the New Testament, one of the things that happened to me was just this huge awakening in my spirit. I, I can say confidently that I, I believe that I had been saved from a very, very young age. For as long as I can remember, I've had an awareness of the Lord and I have talked to Jesus in my head. And so, and I, and I loved Bible stories and I loved reading the Bible, started reading it front to back in seventh grade. So the salvation was there. I just wasn't walking in any kind of obedience. 
And we had Cowboys tickets. We would uh, tailgate with a group of people. Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys. Yes. (laughs) And I knew my drinking was getting worse. And we had plans to go to a game on Sunday and we were going to tailgate with our friends. And I told my husband on Monday that I wasn't going to drink. And he looked at me like I was weird because that's really Mm -hmm. weird that on Monday, you're worrying about what you're going to drink on Sunday. But it had just been, I'd been agonizing over it. And I thought about it all week long. How am I going to make it look like I'm drinking, but not be drinking? And how am I going to do this? How am I going to make it through the whole game? We got there and someone put a drink in my hand and I had two drinks before the game, four drinks during the game, two drinks after the game. I know that's a very specific memory. What's so remarkable about that is that by this time I was a blackout drunk. Mm. I would blackout after a glass and a half of wine. But I remember everything. I remember fighting with my husband on the way home. I remember walking in and him kind of shuffling me past the babysitter. I remember falling as I went up the stairs. I remember walking into my daughter's bedroom, going in to kiss her goodnight and her kind of leaning away because I smelled like alcohol. The next day I woke up with this horrible feeling of separation from the Lord. I just had such a keen awareness of the Lord's presence in my life. And I woke up and I did not feel that intimacy. And I went to work and came back and was miserable all day long, got up the next morning, same way, felt the same way. And I could not ask the Lord to forgive me because I knew I was going to do it again. Mm. Because when you're an addict, you're going to do it again. And I knew that about myself. And I wasn't going to be a hypocrite in front of the Lord. And so I get in the car after my shift. It's about 11. And I turn on the radio and I listened to Christian radio on my way to and from Uh, work every day. And there was a pastor quoting out of Luke's gospel, Jesus speaking, the version I memorized said, watch out, don't let me catch you uh, living in careless ease and drunkenness filled with the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware. And I knew the Lord was talking straight to me. And so I turned off the radio and I said two words. I said, okay, Lord. And he gave me, I I hesitate to call it a vision. It was not this mystic experience. It was just all of a sudden, I had this picture in my mind of where I was headed. And the Lord showed me what I was capable of. And that was infidelity, driving under the influence with my children in the car, throwing my career away. I mean, he showed me how close I was. But in the same instant, I also felt such an overwhelming sense of his love. I didn't have words to put around it. And I sensed the Lord impressing upon me um, some words that you can find in the book of Deuteronomy, and they are, today I have set before you a choice, life and death, blessings and curses. Oh, that you would choose life and live. And those are the words that kept going through my mind, Mm -hmm. oh, that you would choose life and live. And I just had this sense that the Lord was saying to me, I want to do things with you, for you, through you, in you, but I can't use you like this because you have given the enemy a foothold and you are destroying your witness. And I had a very keen sense that the Lord was giving me an opportunity to choose. And I I chose him and I never wanted to drink again. Full on deliverance. I woke up with a two-day hangover, mind you. I mean, there are, you can have a two-day hangover, and I know wow. because I had one. But I went to bed knowing, believing, I'll say believing, that I would never drink again. And aside from one or two fleeting moments when I've looked around and thought, oh, man, you know, 
I have been so grateful for my sobriety. This year will be 12 years. And I can honestly say with everything in me, I have not looked back, nor would I go back. Rebecca, powerful. such a powerful, beautiful story. Mm-hmm. It's and, crazy. And it's God. It's but oh, God, yeah. right? Yeah. 100% God. And so I think of those that are listening right now that may be dealing with something, <clears throat> excuse me, similar. And they are reaching for the bottle. They're reaching for the pills. They're reaching for the food that is unhealthy. They're reaching for whatever that is counterfeit comfort. And and this offers hope. Your story offers hope, Rebecca, because God is asking each and every one of us, do you want to live? Do you want to live? And and so um, I, I just I just love that you were ready and willing and just being obedient. And so your testimony really stands firm. Did you, uh, you, during those years when you felt like you were close to the Lord, but you were drinking, going honky tonk, was there, was there <laughs> yeah. confliction going on at times in your, in your mind or your soul where you're thinking, okay, so I'm doing this and that doesn't really reflect who I am as a Christian. How did you handle that? Because I think there are perhaps lots and lots of people who are similarly stuck in a place where they do things they think maybe they shouldn't, but somehow there's a rationalization and justification. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how did you handle that confliction? I can relate. I was really good at justifying it. I just lived in the knowledge that I was not pleasing the Lord a lot of the wow. time. And then I would do a Bible study or have, you know, some Bible study time. And I would feel so close to the Lord and I would beg that he would make me strong and help me stay in this moment. But one of the things that we know to be true today of most addicts and the psychiatrist that I spoke to about this, Dr. David Henderson in uh, Dallas, says he believes that over 90% of addicts are actually um, anesthetizing and self-medicating an underlying medical mental condition or illness. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the anxiety was... It, it was too much. And drinking did provide a fleeting temporary relief that only made the anxiety worse when right. the effects wore off. I mean, mm-hmm. because then I had the anxiety with the depression because, you know, alcohol is a depressant. And then the shame of things I did or said while I was drunk. Wendy, you said a, a moment ago, um, counterfeit comfort. Mm-hmm. What a brilliant phrase, because that is exactly what it is. It's counterfeit comfort. And the problem with it is actually it does work for a really small amount of time. I mean, that that new gadget, that new iPhone, that new purse, that does do the trick yeah. for a minute. Right. You know, otherwise we wouldn't keep going back to it. But it's so fleeting and it's so fake. And it you end up feeling worse on the other side of it. So I, I love that phrase. I think that's I think I'm gonna have to steal that from you. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> hey Rebecca, the um you know, the expression of your handling the anxiety was trying to find a way to self-medicate. So for people who are uh, maybe not aware of the severity of their mental illness. I guess, are there any, where do you, where do you start with that? You just know, I don't feel right. I ain't right in the head. Something's I don't like, I don't like it. Uh, is there a starting place to begin to identify what the problem is and then how to go about getting help? Probably have to acknowledge first, right? Yes. And and I will say this, that is such a good question, Todd. I wish someone, I, I wish I would have thought through that when I was younger. 
if you have felt anxious or depressed, or if you are having racing thought patterns for more more than six weeks. Okay. That's not normal. That is not normal. If you don't want to get out of bed, if you don't want to do things you used to love to do, that is not normal. Life is an ebb and flow and we are emotive creatures. God gave us our emotions. Okay. So our emotions are not the problem, but prolonged season. And I will tell you this too, if you've been in a hyper, super excited frame of mind for an extended period of time, on the flip side of that coin, that also requires some reflection. But if you have felt stuck in an unhealthy pattern for six weeks or longer, the best place to start is a conversation with your doctor. Now, here is what I will recommend. I have no medical training, so please just know that this is what worked for me. I cannot recommend a psychiatrist highly enough. And the reason is when you have a knee problem, you go to an orthopedic surgeon. When you have cancer, you go to an oncologist. When something is going on in in your brain, you really want to go see someone who does nothing but brain. A general practitioner may be able to recommend you in a certain direction and may be able to rule out some other things. But if you suspect that what you are experiencing is anxiety or depression or obsessive compulsive thoughts and behaviors, then you will save yourself some time by going straight to the expert. Mm-hmm. Do you find biochemical? That, it's biochemical, yeah, too. yeah, exactly. Do you find that those who have faith really begin to think, um, I shouldn't have to do that because I have the Lord. So, what in the heck is my problem that I can't just snap out of this? I've got the faith. Jesus, I know you love me. I'll just pray more, read my Bible more. Do you think there's just a built-in resistance because there's, well, I ought to be able to handle this with God's help and I don't need, you know, medical professionals? Yes. I mean, one of the fruits of the spirit is joy. And so there's there's even this feeling of guilt when we don't feel love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, it's it's we feel shame over that. And I think a lot of really well-meaning people have given some really bad advice due to just not knowing anything about true clinical anxiety or depression. And so one of the things I do when I speak to groups about this is I show them a picture of a molecule of adrenaline. And I say, okay, I want you to look at this. And I want you to notice that it has a molecular weight. It has molecular mass. It has shape. It has structure. It's a substance. It's real. It's a physical thing. And then I'll show them a picture of a molecule of serotonin. Same thing. Dopamine, same thing. So when we think of mental illness, we kind of tend to think in abstract terms, like mm-hmm. it's it's a sort of illness, but it's really your fault because you should be stronger, especially if you're a Christian. When in fact, if your body is flooding itself with adrenaline all the time, you're going to feel anxious. That is your body re- responding to a make-believe flight or fight situation. And that's exactly what anxiety is. It's an overproduction of the glucocorticoids and adrenaline, and it's an underproduction of serotonin and dopamine. And so sometimes it's circumstantial and a good counselor and learning some behavior modifications and redirecting and giving yourself some tools is the way to go. For me, I think journaling really was key for a lot of that. It was just pouring everything out, giving it to the Lord and allowing him to speak back to me through his word. But 
I also have a chemical imbalance. And the Lord did not choose to heal my chemical imbalance toward um, through prayer. He chose to heal my chemical imbalance through psychiatric care, counselors, and medicine. Mm-hmm. And so just like we wouldn't stop someone for taking migraine medicine, let's not inhibit someone from finding relief from anxiety or depression, which are things that can be fatal. Absolutely. And I'm glad you're um, talking about that because I think that there's so many people that feel the shame and guilt of even taking meds. And so, um, you know, I'm a natural path, so I'm more about natural remedies, right? But I have never, ever said, oh my goodness, don't get help if you need mental um, meds because it is. It is something that not the average person can see what's going on in your mind. And so you need a, a clinical psychologist that can help you through it and and to get uh you know a a test done to see how your body chemistry is is right. playing out right but so many um different i think women especially because we have so many different hormonal ebbs and flows depending yes, on the do. season of life that we're in right <laughs> what do you yeah. mean honey? well you like, know, you know. Don't, we don't know what you're talking about <laughs> whatever i had a talking about that hormonal thing yeah. that deal going okay yeah <laughs> so we have that and to recognize that Hormones are, are play a big role, and so when your uh, you know your body's chemistry is out of whack, it is going to ha- make you edgy. It's going to cause you to fly off the handle. It's going to make you say things you wouldn't norm- normally say. It may make you reach for that bottle, and so um, I think people just need to see that. Okay, I see what's going on, and I'm going to get help, and I'm going to acknowledge the fact that I need to do something. I need to go for a walk. I need to eat better. I need all these things, right? Which I know you're you're very healthy, and you're into uh, physical activity and eating well. So you have done your part there, um, and so. Um, yeah, what would you say to that person that has been dealing with this for so long and they feel like, no, the Lord is just supposed to heal me? Would you just say, go get the help you need and not have the shame? I think I would say this. Perhaps he's trying to and you are rejecting it. Ooh. Because I think, and and I am all about trying anything and everything. You know, uh, there are things that have worked for others that did not work for me. There are things that work for me that may not work for you. Right. But I think there is somewhat of a miracle that the Lord has given men and women the ability to discover a property that exists in nature, take it back to a lab, study it, isolate certain properties, encapsulate it, and it knows exactly where in your body to go. How does that even work? Yeah. You know, I mean, and yeah. and the Bible is not anti-medicine. We see right. in, I think it's James 5, where he talks about, is any of you sick? And then anointing them with oil. Oil was medicine in biblical mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it is a very good and gracious gift of the Lord when used properly. Right. I think one of the things that tends to hinder people from seeing a psychiatrist and taking medicine is they think if they do it once, they're going to be on it for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Y'all, you're not as bad as me. I mean, the chance that you are as bad. It is in my family. I mean, I had no chance. So there is, it's such a small chance that you will be a lifer like me. Um, Most of the time, people can go on medicine for a very short um, period of time. Just to get over the hump. 
get over the hump, and then you go back to business that's normal. Mm. There are so many things in life where if something happens, you just have to suffer. If you lose a beloved family member or friend, you are going to suffer. If you get diagnosed with a terminal illness, there is suffering to that, but there does not have to be such terrible suffering attached Mm. to mental illness because Mm. help is available to you. Love your balanced approach to just, and love the fact that when, when you talk about these things, you're basically offering freedom. It's like no judgment, no shame, no guilt. Let's just get some help. But that leads me into wondering, what do you do when you know of a, you have a family member in your own household? Could even or, be your spouse or a child. And you, you see all the symptoms and you recognize that there is not just a denial on their part, but an inability to recognize the severity of it because they're so used to it. Mm-hmm. How do you begin the process of helping them in those first steps to get help? Where do you start? It is really, I will tell you this, if that's you, as you are listening, um, my heart goes out to you because I have been there and I am there right now. So what I will say to you is that if this person is an adult a lot of times it takes an intervention. Uh, there is a, I, one person in my family uh, was diagnosed with bipolar, went on and off medicine for 10 years. And then the whole family with this person's dearest friend sat down and intervened. And this person agreed to go into psychiatric treatment. And then after that, after a very firm intervention that looked a whole lot like you can't be a part of our lives unless you will address this because it's so very destructive, that person, praise God, is doing so well today and living a totally normal life. So worst case scenario, it is going to take an intervention with more than just you. I will also say that do not discount prayer. Do not let prayer be your last resort. The Lord is way more invested in this person than you are. And you may not be the person to get through to this person in your life, but the Lord can put someone else in their path that they will listen to. And so Mm -hmm. I have been praying that for a friend of mine uh, for nine years, Mm -hmm. because I have seen an not a doctor, but I have seen um, a lot of manic episodes and the destruction that it's causing this person and her family. And so that's been my prayer for nine years. At the end of the day, if it's an adult and they simply refuse treatment, then you have to maintain healthy boundaries for you and yourself. On your mental health journey, I mean, it has been a journey and you've busted through, through layer after layer of it. How has it affected your ministry? What a question. Okay. Let me just tell you something. I love Jesus so much, I can't stand it. He is the reason <laughs> I exist. He, I mean, I live and breathe to teach women the Bible. Yes. I'm in seminary, so I can better teach women the Bible. But since I went public with this in 2011, this is my biggest ministry touch point. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I am spending all this time <laughs> making all these amazing discoveries in the Bible. And I just want to sit you down and tell you about all of them, but people want to talk to me about my mental health journey. And I'm so glad. And here's why. Because at the end of the day, as people, God is going to give each of us a sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. And God is so precious in His redemption that He will take the thing in your life that has caused you the greatest pain and the greatest shame, and He will make that your weapon of warfare. Sure. And that will be how you minister to people. Because when you are an alcoholic like I am, you don't want to talk to someone who's never struggled with it. You want to talk to someone who knows what it smells like down in the bottom of the pit. And when you really struffle, struggle with 
anxiety and deep depression as I have, you don't want to talk to someone who can't understand. They're going to inadvertently say the wrong thing and give you the wrong facial expression. You need someone who can empathize with you, who has been in it. And so I am... I can't even believe that I can honestly, without a shred of um, doubt, say this truthfully. I am grateful for my mental health journey because it has helped me to connect with so many people that need to hear from a train wreck who's worse than they are. God can trust you with them. And that yeah. that is the beauty of going through something that's so painful is that you've been there. You have been in the pit. So you have the the authority, if you will, to, to minister to others because you've been there, done that. And so they can see the hope and they can see how to get to the other side because you've lived it. And so God has just trusted you. That is so true for so many aspects of life. And I think about mm -hmm. what Paul wrote to the Corinthians when he said, you know, you offer the comfort, the same comfort to others that you yourself received. And that's exactly what you're doing. In fact, I think you need to talk to KCBI about having a live call-in talk show Ooh. where you can deal with these issues. Planting the seeds. <laughs> She's like, uh-oh. <laughs> You're making more work for that's, me, Todd. I don't know about that. Yeah, that's, that's true, but so many people to help, and uh, you've just got you've just got a delightful way of presenting the truth to help free people and heal people because inevitably that's what it's all about. And you have actually written two different books. One is called Holy Jelly Beans: Finding God Through Everyday Things. And holy hiking boots when God makes the ordinary yeah. extraordinary. I love both titles. They're great. And I didn't even know about the holy hiking boots one. I knew holy jelly beans. So I'll have to check that one out. I might uh, have written it the last time. I it know. It might have been still, you know, in a computer file somewhere the last yes. time you and I got together, Wendy. What are the books about? So funny you asked. So, <laughs> so in 2009, after my huge God experience, when I started journaling my way through the New Testament, I just was doing nothing but devouring the word. And I was hearing God at every turn, little life experiences and through my children and just about every experience I was finding a spiritual application. And so these two books are the overflow of what the Lord was doing in my life in um, the the years in 2009 and several years following. It, just, it, it is the overflow of my journal, just mm. God's stories and how God Beautiful. is still speaking to us today by bringing His Word to life in the world around us. Mm -hmm. And you are an excellent writer. You are a great storyteller. And so these are I haven't read Holy Hiking Boots. I'm going to get it, but Holy Jelly Beans is fantastic. Thank you. That's so kind of you. Yeah. Those of you listening, go to RebeccaCarroll.com to check out those books and to check out more about Rebecca. Um, but before we um, end this podcast because or this episode, I want to ask you, because you, you've been through so much and you've been such an uh, inspiration for many that are dealing with similar issues, but who has been your biggest influence in your life and why? Mm, that's really good. I have besides two. Jesus. We know Jesus for sure. Right. <laughs> the, one of them is my dad, who mm -hmm. is also an alcoholic and who has who was the one who got through to me when um I, I won't say the one who got through to me because that really and truly was exclusively the Lord, but he was the one who just accepted me. You know, mm. every time I would do something stupid, every time I would, you know. I don't know. Every time I did something that should have wrecked everything, my dad was the one there helping me back up and encouraging me along. And he has been such a, a precious source of encouragement for me. The other one is a Bible teacher named Jen Wilkin. 
And she has lot, uh, books and Bible studies through Lifeway. And uh, she is a friend of mine, but really just the way she handles the Word of God and the way that she um, ministers to women has been a beautiful example for me to follow. And I have been very grateful. She and I are not active friends where we talk all the time, but we get together you know, once or twice a year for lunch. And she's just grace embodied, mm. and she is a brilliant theologian. And so mm. I have uh, really feel like I have grown as I have learned from her. That's it's cool. Beautiful. That's awesome. So is there a word or a phrase that sums up the entirety of who you are? I think it's just joyful Jesus follower. That's so good. But that doesn't mean happy all the time. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit and not a fruit of our circumstances. And I think that's a really powerful thing to hold on to, that even in the deepest grief and the darkest times, the Lord can infuse joy. And it doesn't make your suffering smaller. It makes your God bigger. Amen to that. Wow, that is very encouraging. <laughs> Love that. So yes, true, the joyful so Jesus follower right here yes. has uh, scored big time. <laughs> yes. It sounds Thank cheesy. You. No, it doesn't. It's a little I love cheesy. It. It's it's, it only sounds cheesy if people don't know you. Once they get to know you, it all makes sense. So, yeah, you are our joyful friend. So, we appreciate you so much, Rebecca. Thank you for sharing your testimony yeah. and um, just offering hope and, and digging down the trenches with those that need it most. Mm-hmm. And so, again, for those of you that uh, want to learn more, go to RebeccaCarroll.com and uh, check out her books, Bless Her Socks Off, because she's blessing the socks off of those that are coming to her, uh, just wanting some um, words of wisdom uh, with what they're going through. So, she can help and uh, let her be a resource for you. So thank you so much. God bless you, my friend. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for having me on. Such an honor. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. How fun. Oh my goodness. It's always a tough topic when you're talking about something so serious, but um, she has just been through it. And when I, when I listened to her testimonial and when I first met with her, we met at Starbucks in Texas uh, near a place where I grew up and um, we just sat and talked for like, it was like two hours. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, we, I gotta go. But we just felt like sisters, I mean, sisters in Christ immediately. And when I heard her story and felt, you know, with my own similar conversion yeah. a little yeah. bit, I thought, wow, this girl's a real deal. She is. That's the beauty of who she is. She's very authentic. authentic and very honest and very open about what she's been through, where she's at and where she's headed. And I'm just grateful that she took the time to spend with you today. And we're hopeful that you've been, you know, encouraged whether Mm -hmm. you yourself have have dealt or are dealing with issues of anxiety or depression or rejection or whatever else just isn't normal for you. If you're just not feeling like things are are right in terms of the way you feel and the way you're thinking, then, you know, uh, on her behalf, we're, we're encouraging and almost begging you, you know, start talking it through, start Mm -hmm. looking for help. There are solutions. There aren't, uh, you know, cookie cutter solutions to these kinds of problems, but there are solutions. That's the really good news. That's right. That's right. So find your solution today. And first and foremost, we know that that solution is Jesus, but let him lead the way. And we just appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, again, go check out Rebecca Carroll at RebeccaCarroll.com. And until uh, next time, we'll see you on your biggest breakthrough. 
Well, that's a wrap for today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, we love spending time with you right here on Your Biggest Breakthrough Podcast. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. But until then, just head on over to yourbiggestbreakthrough.com where you'll find some free resources and information and a place where you can comment and we would love to dialogue with you there. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.